everybody, and thanks for joining us for the second episode of the Dollar High Doctrine, where we reclaim what it means to be the domestic church. I'm Ben, and I'm here with my wife, Holly. Hello. And today we wanted to talk about what the domestic church is, kind of define what it means to be a domestic church, both in a theological, the, the very heady theological definition, but then also um, kind of what are the the, the roots, the historical roots of the domestic church, and then kind of give our interpretation of what that means for our daily life uh, in our own household. Uh, please bear with us. This is our second attempt at this because <laughs> we had recorded a full episode and we thought it was very well done. Very <laughs> minimal editing had to be done. And then we realized that there were no less than six mic dropouts throughout the recording. So we lost a good bit of information uh, yeah. For that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so now it's getting a bit later, but it's okay. So we're all here together. Yep. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we also wanted to say thank you to everyone for listening to our first episode. Um, I think we were humbled by the amount of viewers on our YouTube video, anyway. But also now we are up and running and available on any uh, platform where you get your podcasts. So. Feel free to search us there and subscribe for our future um, episodes as well. Yeah, so we're super excited about that that development. You know, we were very, uh, it was very awe-inspiring to see our logo and everything up on YouTube and be able to listen to our own voices on the big interwebs. Also but, a little cringy. Yes, <laughs> but now able to see our, our logo now on like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Pandora, you know, really wherever you get your podcasts. Please look us up and, and subscribe so that you get notified whenever we, we have a new episode yeah. and that way you can continue on with us through this journey. Yeah, we feel so legit now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think after we, the one nice thing about having all of these mic drops and having <laughs> to do this a second time is that we can really reflect on where we went with that conversation and how we can frame it better for all of you who are listening. Yeah, I think second time might be better. Right. So... We had originally, we had kind of dove right into the catechism and started with a very heady definition. And then we kind of bounced back to kind of look at the roots of, of the, the words, the phrase domestic church. And then we kind of like hopped around a little bit to various soapbox discussions <laughs> and then kind of ended on a, like a... Confused note. Yes. So, <laughs> Lots of lost trains of thought. Yes. So I think that, that this time, I think our our best course of action would be just to start with the historical roots of what is the domestic church. Yes, so the term domestic church comes from Ecclesia Domestica, which um, in the very, very early church, like original Christians would meet in their homes, and that's kind of where they had their liturgy and um, community there wasn't like a physical church to go to and have a mass per se, but these um, gatherings were called um, home churches, right? Mm. House churches. Um, so that's kind of the origin of the term, but the understanding of the domestic church has kind of morphed throughout the ages um, because at that time it was very much house church was like this is this is the community gathering of church um 
this is where church happens. <laughs> right. And I think it's important to to differentiate between what we mean by this, because there's a, a different understanding out there, primarily amongst Protestants, of what it means to be a house church, uh, like to kind of have your own kind of splinter group that really wasn't what this, this was. Um, uh, early Christianity, these, these liturgies that, that hum- happened amongst the people, these communities were founded by the apostles, right? That, that's how the, the, the church grew. First being founded by the apostles, the apostles pointing individuals to lead these smaller communities. And because the church was in persecution, they didn't have these large spaces available to them to gather. And so this, we saw this really like this grassroots movement to kind of codify what we come to, to understand as the mass. So at the very very early church, the you know we were the Catholics were were Jews that had come to know that the Messiah had come, right? Okay. So they would go to the synagogue first to hear the Old Testament. They would go back to a house to hear the letters from the apostles that had founded these communities, right? That's where we get Paul's letters, for example, like Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians. <laughs> So Paul, in that instance, is writing to the church gathered in Thessalonica. And so like, so they would go to the synagogue first, go back to the home to hear the, the words of the apostles through epistles that had been given to them, sent to them from their founding apostles. And then uh, the person that had been appointed to lead this local community would then give a brief explanation of what they had just heard. And that's where we get the sermon. And then interestingly enough, they would move to a separate room and that's where they would have the liturgy of the Eucharist. And that continued until the, uh, those Christians were kicked out of the synagogue, were no longer allowed to worship alongside the Jews. And they switched from going to the synagogue first to having everything in the home. So that's where we get this, that that early Christian uh, picture of what the Ecclesia Domestica, the domestic church is. Right, so it's like a physical gathering point of the actual church. Whereas now, obviously, there's a separation of like where we have liturgy and mass and sacraments is usually not in the home, though it can be. Um, but, you know, we go to our actual parish and have those happen and then we come back home Mm -hmm. so i think that's a key difference there (laughs) from early church and now is that we don't typically view our home as the center of the liturgy yeah and i think we, we talked about too that for us especially there's there's such a a separation between the two uh at least in our in our physical distance which tends to lend itself to the way that we uh mentally think about this this partnering of these two realities so there's for us you know we drive an hour to mass right so there's which some people drive further right but we're we we come from you know it's a place where we're used to like going to our local in-town parish that's like five minutes away right and so like we go uh to this other physical place that's not only a different place but it's a different city it's a different state in our case, right? We're, we're even crossing a state border to get there. And then um, we're coming home 
And I think it's so easy in our, our life to separate those two realities. And that's coming from somebody, the, the two of us, that we've had mass celebrated in our, in our home. And that was a complete, it was, it was awesome and beautiful in one aspect, but it was also super weird. <laughs> like, yeah, and it was, it was uh, both times where were priests that are close personal friends of ours. And uh, to kind of give you uh, kind of a glimpse into this reality, if you've never had mass celebrated in your home, we were sitting on our couch. Right, you well, just kind of set up camp and wherever you can. Right, and then like the, the mass is happening, um, and then our cat comes out and <laughs> is like rubbing up against the priest during the gospel, mm-hmm. and like our son is crawling all over the place during the Eucharistic prayer, and like it's it it was kind of a it was kind of chaos, but it was beautiful in that you know right. that like. Matt, the extraordinary is happening in the midst of our ordinary life and deeply in the middle of like things that we see and live on every day and like that's what it's supposed to be right and i think that probably coming from that early church understanding of what it means to live in the midst of those mysteries may that that may have appeared to be like a normal kind of a, a normal sunday right whereas for us, that was a complete perspective switch. It is very a foreign experience of the mass and of how we live our faith at home. Right. So anyway, that's where that that term originates, at least the ideology. Um, but then we see a shift beginning to emerge throughout time of the ecclesia domestica being changed from the gathering of the the local church to a gathering of the family within a microcosm of the church, as a microcosm of the church, I mean. So uh, we see this perfectly drawn out in the, the writings of the Second Vatican Council, particularly in Lumen Gentium. And uh, Pope John Paul II draw this, this out further in Femolari's Consortio. Um, but then we also, that also brought us to the catechism's definition, uh, which uh, Holly's going to share with all of you. Yep, so um, paragraphs 1656 and 1657 kind of uh, summarize it best, we think. so. In our own time, in a world often alien and even hostile to faith, believing families are of primary importance as centers of living, radiant faith. For this reason, the Second Vatican Council using an ancient expression, calls the family the Ecclesia Domestica. It is in the bosom of the family that parents are, by word and example, the first heralds of the faith with regard to their children. They should encourage them in the vocation which is proper to each child, fostering with special care any religious vocation. It is here that the father of the family, the mother, children, and all members of the family exercise the priesthood of the baptized in a privileged way by the reception of the sacraments, prayer and thanksgiving, the witness of a holy life, and self-denial and active charity. Thus the home is the first school of Christian life and a school for human enrichment. Here one learns endurance and the joy of work, fraternal love, generous, even repeated forgiveness, and above all, divine worship and prayer and the offering of one's life. So that's a beautiful definition. 
right? But it's super heady. So like, what does that actually mean? Like, what? How do we? How do we con- concretize that that teaching? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it is a deep definition, but I think they have practical things going on in there as well. Like, basically, we're called to be the best people we can be and to live that in our home and outside of the home and with our children, Um, which obviously that doesn't lend to, like, how do you do that when you're making dinner and putting kids to bed or trying to get homework done or, like... um, But I think the gist of it is, you know, like we said, bringing what happens in the liturgy and with God incarnate back home. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really good point. Um, That's kind of where I go with that definition of the incarnational aspect of of our faith, right? The the primary, the the central mystery of the Christian faith is God becomes incarnate incarnate in the the person of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So bringing that incarnational principle back to the married life we're called to incarnate the love that christ has for his church and that bond between uh, spouses but then also incarnate the love that god the father has for us as his children from our, our parent parental love from us to our our kids and and bringing them up in the church in the faith and and passing them passing the faith on to them um in a way that they can then be drawn into that mystery. Right. And so <clears throat> I'm not sure how many of you kind of have that something like that idea of the domestic church with regards to your own marriage and family life, but it seems from our experience of working with families, um, growing up in parishes, but also working in different parishes through college and after, um, that most Catholic families don't really have this regard for how their faith is meant to impact and affect all aspects of their life, but specifically how they choose to live in relationship in their family. Right, and, I, and looking back at my my uh, uh, kind of formation in this, I remember that, I don't know if it was a diocesan, if it was like a, a national drive or if it was a diocesan drive or if it was just like a parish thing. Um, but the pastor at the time actually had, had hung a banner up at the choir loft uh, in the back of the church that said, Live It. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> like everybody would, would see it as they left uh, at left Mass. It was super, super distracting. <laughs> and uh, But I think it gets back to this this aspect of we're supposed to be taking what we've been nourished with at the mass what we've come into contact with mm-hmm. and and bring that back into the home and one of the things that we were talking about earlier today was how do we draw then you know it's one thing to talk about this relationship between spouses and how do spouses draw each other into this mystery but i think that in a particular way the one way that we really see ourselves uh, interacting with this mystery is with our children and, and somehow drawing our children into this mystery. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've come into the contact with this concretely with our son, oldest son, Noah, who is like fascinated with the Mass right now in certain aspects of the Mass, <laughs> I should say. Yeah, he's, he's almost not, two, right? <laughs> so he can't he can't quite get into everything. But. Right, he's not reciting the Summa Theologiae <laughs> by, by, by question. But the... Um, 
but he he he's being drawn in that into that mystery through beauty um and so during the entrance procession at at mass he is like obsessed with the cross and he is like pointing at the cross saying cross and all that and then at the epiclesis and at the consecration when the bells are rung like he like automatically is like zoned in to what's happening at the altar Mm -hmm. like he's being drawn into those mysteries through those sense experiences And, and so even with young kids you know we can find a way to draw them into the mystery and I think that you did a really good job of of kind of bringing that home and continuing on that that love to continue to build yeah so I um noticed that Noah was kind of picking up on these things at mass because we would go for walks and he started to pick up sticks and hold them above his head and kind of act like he was singing and processing. And eventually he could say that, like, cross, cross. Um, so I decided to go make him a little processional cross to have at home and kind of start collecting, like, a mass kit for him. But that's just, like, one small way that we can, I guess, witness the liturgy at home to him um, in a very concrete way. Um, because that's all he can understand right now because he's not quite two, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Our kids are very young, so, you know, it's hard to know how how do you witness those things to them when their understanding and their attention is just so small. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this is something that's just popping into my mind now, but I'm thinking back to our first episode, and you said something pretty profound. You said that you're hoping that this generation is the generation of canonized married couples and then can canonized families Mm -hmm. right and i think that this principle this drawing out of the mysteries that we've come into contact with and living them out at home is one way that we can live out that universal call to holiness and and continue to form each other in that and call each other out of our vice and into virtue right and like you said too so noah's picking up on this beauty right um and that's kind of what we all initially pick up on and that's why um earlier forms of parishes too were just these vessels of beauty right and the statuary the artwork the 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 windows like people were drawn to them as as pilgrims but as soon as they entered the doors of the church they were catechized through beauty Mm -hmm. right they were they were led in to the the mystery of this divine love affair between Christ and his church through the artwork that they were experiencing. And so they were being drawn, interestingly, uh, in most uh, churches that were designed properly, I would say, <laughs> is that the the eyes are both driven upward mm-hmm. to heaven, yeah. but then they're all also driven to the altar where the sacrifice would, would occur. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I think that, that that really speaks to... Anyway, I can get on a soapbox discussion. I'm not going to get on Yeah, I'll we'll have to topic. talk about beauty in a different episode. Right. But I think that that lends, though, to the early understanding of house church because that was where any... It, I don't... I seriously doubt that they had beautiful stained glass <laughs> at that time, like recent, close after Jesus' passing and resurrection. But the beauty of the liturgy and of the word of God and of Jesus being incarnate was like spreading like wildfire in people's homes. And that's what we're supposed to um, create here in our own houses. 
Um, so, you know, creating a mass kit for our sons to play with because they see the beauty at mass. But also, I think, like, again, for another episode, but, like, how we decorate our home and creating this to be, a, like, a vessel of beauty and of the Holy Spirit that we live in and we, you know, just breathe in and out that beauty of God all day and things that lift our eyes and minds up, you know. So anyway, that's one way that I'm very passionate, like as a design mind person, mm-hmm. um, of how to create the domestic church in our own home. But you had touched on just briefly here, and we talked a lot more in our first attempt at this episode about the difference between catechesis and evangelization. Right. So the I think the church right now is kind of in this confusing time. So. Uh, for those of you that don't know uh, me in general, but then for those of you that don't know, that listen to us but have a personal connection with us, I'm actually completing my master's in theology now. And one of the things that I'm currently studying in my classes is the difference, the union, but the difference between even evangelization and catechesis. So we we talk a lot about the... Uh, re-evangelizing of the Catholics already in the pews, or what we call the new evangelization. But I think that we tend to kind of jump the gun. We um, we tend more to catechesis before we tend first to forming that transformative relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what evangelization is. Evangelization is extending that invitation to join in, in the that divine love affair into that relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And and then from there, catechesis provides a direction with which to grow in that relationship. And the um, what I've seen is still, even though, you know, Pope John Paul II was very explicit about this, Pope uh, Benedict spoke about this extensively, and now even Pope Francis has really mentioned this in almost every single one of his encyclicals during his pontificate, is that we first need to reconcentrate on re-evangelizing or re-inviting Catholics in the pews to that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because mm-hmm. so many people, uh, I wouldn't say so many people in the pews know about the faith because I don't think that they do. I think that there are people that come to church, go through the motions, and it's kind of like this thing that they've always done. Mm-hmm. Um and there's no relationship there, and I don't think that there's really a lot of true knowledge there either. I think that we're getting a lot better at promoting that knowledge. I think that there's a lot more solid catechesis out there today, but I think that where we're lacking is how do we bridge that gap between relationship and and the typical Catholic. Right. So- and and I, like I said, I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Right. I think that they're they're joined in a very unique way. Yes, they lend to one another. Right. And I think that you and I have two very different um, ways in which we've gone about establishing that re- that personal relationship. Right. So with me, I didn't feel like I had that personal relationship until I knew a lot more about the faith. So I didn't. I, I really don't feel like I was catechized well growing up. Um, and so on my own journey, 
I concentrated more on the intellectual side and was able to defend the faith on an intellectual level, kind of an apologetical level. But then my relationship there was lacking. So it was more of an intellectual pursuit uh, on, my, on, the, on my part. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that you had said that you, you had a very different experience. Yes, so mine was definitely more relational, even though I wouldn't say I had great catechesis, but I had a solid foundation of our beliefs in the Catholic Church and um, good grounds with which to grow from. But for whatever reason, from a very young age, I just always had a very deep, good relationship with God and prayer and um, just kind of viewing him as that father figure um, growing up and carried on through everything like I still prefer to journal as a form of prayer like I'm writing a letter to God but I think that's too like our personalities are different in those ways right but well I remember when (laughs) so when we first started dating we tried to figure out and we mentioned this a little bit in our last episode of trying to figure out how to pray with one another Mm -hmm. and I remember we tried to do this bible study together that was very good Mm -hmm. it was a very good idea (laughs) but it was very um it was much more in in that light, right? Of like, we're gonna journal today. We're gonna we're gonna, which is a good thing. I'm not I'm not bashing that, but that was not my that was not my prayer style. That was not something that I was necessarily comfortable with. I had like prayer journals and things. You ended up finding a couple mm-hmm. uh, about of my spiritual journals. So, but um, yeah. So no, I, I find that that. Uh, funny that we had even today i think we still have that there's that separation in uh, right so like talking about that that manifests itself in different ways yeah and talking about um the difference between catechesis and evangelization right so when it comes to the evangelization piece we each have an understanding of god and a, a relationship with god but we still struggle with bridging that together, like sharing that with each other. What, What's my relationship with God? Like I can't articulate that well with you or to you and vice versa. Right. Right. So we're still working on that. But I think the Catholicism has this principle of faith and reason. You need both. Right. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And you need both to like come to full union with god right right so bringing that home to like we think about well what how do we share that with the boys like how do we share that with each other because i think we're both trained we have this headiness about it like i am far less heady but i appreciate the knowledge and i love learning about the faith and diving in and having conversations even if i'm not quite on that level um, I love to talk about it and learn. So we're we're there, and how do we share that with the boys on a knowledge level, but also on a relational level mm-hmm. of who God is? Because it's not like we can be like, oh yeah, we're gonna go to Grandma's house and God's gonna be there. Right. Like they don't understand that, you know. Right. Um, so I think those two things are very important for the domestic church too: understanding how to have faith. And grow in your reasoning of your faith. Right. And then how to make God present in your daily life. So we were talking too about, you know, we go to this other place for mass where Christ is is 
still spiritually present amongst the people gathered. He is present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Uh, truly, really present there. But then uh, we come home, and, and Christ still can be spiritually, pre spiritually present amongst us. right? He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So uh, bringing that principle back into the church, the domestic church. Um, and then second, I think that uh, getting back to this principle of evangelization, not only in drawing and inviting each one of us, our members of our household, to that divine encounter, but then how do we witness outward to both people in the parish, to people at work, people at the gym, people in our daily lives, in our extended families, to show them and invite them through our witness of, of what it means to be this domestic church. How do we draw them into that mystery too? Right, which again, I think Catholics have a bad rap for evangelizing because we're not good at sharing the heart stuff. And even like in RCIA, I think there is a heart reason that people and a relational reason of faith that people come to the church and want to join. But at RCIA, we're not fostering that for them. We are fostering the knowledge of the faith. Um, so I think this is also vital for reclaiming the domestic church is understanding how to go out and evangelize because mm -hmm. um, we're not good at, I mean, we can share our principles of the faith, not that we even really want to do that. Like, but how, if, if you and I at home cannot like articulate to each other our faith life with God and our relationship with God. Like, how do we do that with a stranger? Right. Yeah. So, so extending that invitation first should happen in the home amongst family members. But then once those family members have established that connection to then also look outward and, and, and kind of re-evangelize, take part of that new evangelization amongst, uh, as, as members, uh, as evangelists, Right, looking mm -hmm. out to the parish and seeing who else needs to be invited into this great mystery, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, so I think that that that's kind of getting to a good, good spot. Hopefully, hopefully we're creating a good foundation of understanding what the domestic church is supposed to be. I did spring this question on Ben the last time we recorded, but now he kind of has an answer yes. already. <laughs> so this is one of the blessings of having to redo this episode. I am expecting this question and have already had an answer formulated yes. that I would say I did very well I, answering the first did, time. Yes. But my question to you was, what would your, after this conversation, what would your definition of the domestic church be for us and our family? Well, I think for our family, it goes back to the uh, scriptural motto that we selected for our family. Right, That's, for New Year's. Right, and that was found in Psalm 127. If the Lord does not build the house in vain, do its builders labor. So having, uh, drawing back on what we were talking about uh, is that incarnational principle. How do I love you uh, as Christ loves the church? How do you love me? in a way that uh, shows submission uh, to to Christ and his church? Mm -hmm. How do you, we love our, our children in a way that shows them in, in a kind of a microcosm of, of how much they're loved by God the Father? Uh, and then how do we form 
uh, that filial love, that fraternity amongst our sons uh, as well. And I think that that is kind of the basis from which I think that we, we can have a strong foundation of, of building that, the practicalities of, of how we do that. So as long as we have that theory down, I think that we could really kind of draw out kind of the practical aspects of, of what it means to be a domestic church. Right. Living as Christ loves us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, easy peasy. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. So that was a very, very general, very heady episode. We apologize for that. I but do think the second time was a little easier to understand than yes. the first. Yes. So, well, we thank you for, so much for joining us for this episode. Like we said at the beginning, we are now on all uh, podcast mediums, I guess you could say. Is that a medium? Platform. Yeah. Platform. We are, we podcast we is the medium. We need to be with the times. Right. <laughs> yes. So wherever you get your podcast, please look up the Dollar High Doctrine and please subscribe and you'll be alerted whenever we upload a new episode. And if you have your notification set right, it'll actually download automatically to your device. That way, when you're driving to work and you want to hear our luscious vocal cords, <laughs> you can always tune into that. But then another selfless, selfish, I should say, plug for the two of us is that my wife Holly has her own business called the Do- the Diary of a Dollar Hide, mm-hmm. right? Which is twofold. <laughs> it focuses on the blog, which is a, a way that she can complain about me on the national stage. Mm, all about Ben. Yeah, no, it's a it's a blog that shares the joys, the sorrows of. Um, being a uh, both a, a Catholic mom and a Catholic wife, and I think it's super awesome. And then the, the second aspect of that is that she has a shop filled with Catholic apparel. So right now she's concentrating primarily on T-shirts, and right now she has an awesome line and a growing line of saint-themed T-shirts. So and it's confirmation season, right? So if your favorite confirmandi is about <laughs> to receive the sacrament, mm-hmm. then... Um, you should look up to see if Holly has their patron saint, yeah. their confirmation saint, as a T-shirt, and then maybe even think about ordering it for or, them. Or let me know who you want me to design a shirt for, which saint, and I would be happy to do that. Yeah. So please uh, just think about that, pray about it, and then uh, <laughs> go do it. Yeah, and um, it would also mean so, so much if you guys like, share, comment, subscribe, all the things to help us get our voices uh, further out there, help us um, build up some good resources. Um, and we really do appreciate comments, suggestions, thoughts, questions, prayer requests. All of those things are a great way for us to measure measure, and make sure that we're, we're in line with where God wants us to go with this. Yeah, so thanks for joining us. Please join us next week when we figure out what we're going to talk about next week. Yeah. So. <laughs> So come back next week to to continue on this journey with all of us.